How are you out there tonight? So we're in 2 Corinthians here, uh, chapter 10. Um, we're going to take a few bites of this tonight. Some chapters we're able to cover in one session and some we can't. And this one we're going to do, uh, God willing, six verses tonight. Um, so get to 2 Corinthians uh, and I'm going to read chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Powerful stuff in here. We need to be looking at some spiritual warfare tonight and some principles that Paul lays out as he's talking to the Corinthians. Remember, for a lot of the book so far, he's been talking about an offering that they brought and all kinds of uh, teaching on sacrificial giving and uh, administration within the church. And you have the Gentile believers falling in love with the Jewish believers and galvanizing the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. We're moving on into different topics here, and we get into chapter 10. And tonight we're going to unpack some principles on spiritual warfare. Father, we thank you tonight for this book. We thank you for every letter, every word, every paragraph of Scripture you've given us. God breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is your blueprint for us for living. It answers all the questions of life, and we thank you so much for the word. Father, make 2 Corinthians come alive to us in chapter 10 as we look at these six verses tonight. Holy Spirit, prepare good ground in our hearts. I pray as we worship you, Lord, we... Uh, we prepared good soil to receive the seed of the word tonight. I pray that in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present... I need not be bold with confidence, which I intend to be courageous against some who regard us as if we have walked according to the flesh. So the first two verses there, Paul's calling out some behavior and, and he's saying he's going to correct it. Now we shift gears a little bit in verse three. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So there's a lot in there, and you could miss it if you kind of just read through that quick. It's kind of a familiar passage. It reads so much nicer in the King James. You just heard it in the New American Standard. I'm going to reference some of the King James just because uh, I think it hits the mark a little better. Paul just praised the Corinthians for their sacrificial giving. In the last few chapters, we got through all of that. We learned principles of giving. We learned sacrificial giving. We learned administration, church leadership, and the, the body of Christ caring for one another. Now he confronts the Corinthians about some of their attitudes and their egos. Say egos. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got an ego. Everybody has a little pride. If you're brave enough in church to admit it, raise your hand if you got a little pride. Amen. I'll raise both hands. God's working on me. So we've all got pride, and we've all got an ego, and we've, all of us get attitudes at times. And when I say an attitude, you know what I mean, an attitude. 
You ever been around somebody and they're usually not like this, but that day they got up on the wrong side of the bed and they got an attitude. Ever had somebody's attitude repel you like bug repellent? Just like, whoa, where did that come from? And you just don't even want to be around them. They, they need some alone time with the Lord. So he's, he's confronting them about some things here. Some of them have some attitudes. Some of them have said some things. You know, he just goes from praising them and bragging about them. But at the same time, he's ready to correct them. And I want you to see that a good leader will comfort his people and correct his people. A good pastor will bring comfort through the word and bring correction through the word. You know, some people say, well, you know, I don't preach that, you know, hellfire and brimstone, and I don't want to get negative, and it's all got to be positive and happy, clappy, and hot tub Christianity. Absolutely not. That's not what the word of God is for. It corrects us. It confronts us. It, it convicts us of sin, and a good leader will comfort and correct and Paul's a good leader. He's an amazing apostle, and he's willing to comfort them. He just praised them up and down in the last chapter. Now he's getting right in their face, and he's confronting them over some of their attitudes and their egos being out of line. And the minister who is unwilling to deliver correction will pacify people on their way to hell. It's not loving to tell someone who's in a sin that will lead them to eternal damnation to tell them everything's okay and God loves everyone and all roads lead to heaven and no, God doesn't send anybody to hell. You know that the Bible doesn't say that. But some people just are unwilling to correct, unwilling to confront. Why? Because they want to be popular. They want to be liked. They don't want people to get angry at them. They don't want to upset the good thing they got going. Mm. So, Paul models for us what good leadership does in the church, outside the church, in the home, wherever leadership is. It has to comfort and it has to correct. If you're unwilling to do those things, you know, you're going to produce people who are pacified and who are ignorant and who are in bondage. And we see that in our generation. Sometimes all of us need to be confronted. Sometimes all of us need correction. You say, I need correction sometimes. I need to be confronted. That's why God gave me a wife, because she's not scared of me at all. She tells me how it is. And you know what? We all need people in our lives, not just our spouse, but if you have somebody in your life who loves you enough to correct you when you're wrong, you should be thankful for them. If you have somebody in your life who's willing to take the risk to correct you, when you could just not listen to them, you should thank God for a person like that in your life. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, I, I, I ask you to pray that God would send you someone like that. Oh, pastor, that's a dangerous prayer. Yeah, it is. Because you know what? The best thing we could have is someone to speak the truth to us in love and to correct us when we're wrong. So, you know, all of us can use correction at times. All of us can use, you know, someone to... Uh, Say, hey, wake up, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. To be honest, some of us can use a good kick in the pants at times. Now, I'm not talking about physical violence, but you know what I'm talking about. Do you ever get corrected one time and you, and you walked away like, oh. Anybody, come on Wednesday night. You know what I'm saying? Ow, that hurt. And I didn't like it. It was like a spanking. But it was true. Mm. We live in a generation that refuses correction. 
We have churches all throughout the Western world where people will not accept correction. And if you correct them, they leave and go to another church and start all over to see if they can fool that pastor. But you know what? The Holy Ghost catches up with people like that. So verse 1, he tells them, you know, I'm meek and gentle in Christ, and I'm meek when I'm face-to-face with you. You know, I'm not a hard guy. I'm not, you know, I'm not all wound up all the time. I'm not so intense, but I'm bold towards you when I'm absent. And this is, you know, this is Paul, you know, just basically telling them that uh, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to be meek. And this is what Paul understood, and this is what we need to understand. And verse 1 tells us this. We need boldness in life, but it has to be balanced with meekness and gentleness. Amen? Be bold for the Lord. Tell the truth, but do it in love. So many Christians tell the truth in such a mean, aggressive, condescending way that there's no love in it that the lost and the broken and the deceived can't receive it. Paul understood, you know what, I'm going to be meek, I'm going to be gentle at the same time, I'm going to be balanced. Jesus provides us with the best example of how to balance these things, boldness with meekness and gentleness. Yeah, I believe if you read some of Jesus's, you know, teachings and how he dealt with people, man, he said some things that, you know, were tough to hear, but he said it in love so that people couldn't even refute it. You see, when you, when you say the truth, but you do it in the flesh, people will pick up on the flesh and reject the truth. You know, oh, you know, he told the truth, and, 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 and he was right, but he was nasty. He was judgmental. He, he was condescending. See the balance here? This will go a long way in all of our relationships if we can get this. Don't talk down to people. Don't talk down to your spouse. Don't treat other people like you're better than them or you're above them. Boldness, but balanced with meekness and gentleness. Jesus is our model for that. Follow him to the cross. See how he interacts with all the people and consider carefully how he conducted himself in his three years of ministry when he walked among us. Verse two is a plea for the Corinthians to get themselves back into order, to check themselves so that when Paul comes, he doesn't have to rebuke them and confront them and and have a big, you know, crisis with them. Listen to verse 2. I ask that when I am present, I need not to be bold with confidence, which I intend to be courageous against some who regard us as if we are walking in the flesh. So some people want to discount Paul's ministry. Remember, that was a theme through the book. They want to question his apostolic authority. There's others in the, you know, that region in that church that would like to replace Paul or take his place. And he's like, look, we're not walking in the flesh. I'm, I'm not an apostle in the flesh. I'm spiritually appointed. I, I have a divine pedigree that God put me in this position and gifted me. So when I come there, get yourself in order because I'm going to be courageous with some of you if you don't fall in line and it's not going to be pleasant. Interesting, right? Paul's telling them, check yourself before you wreck yourself because I'm coming and I'm going to be bold. I like the way he says that he intends to be courageous against some. What does that mean? It means I'm not going to be timid. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to ignore the elephant in the room. I'm going to get right in your grill and I'm going to challenge you on where you're wrong spiritually, where your doctrine's wrong, where your attitude's wrong, where your judgment is wrong. Paul's an interesting guy. 
you know, history tells us that, you know, he, he, his speech wasn't the greatest. Maybe he had a stutter, but his physical presence wasn't very impressive. Don't raise your hand. That's, you know, like some, some people, like some people stand in front of you in their stature and their charisma. You, you ever see like a charismatic person? Man, they, you, you just kind of want to fall in line with someone like that. But some people are like, you know, schlumpy and dumpy, and, they're, and you just want to discount them. Schlumpy and dumpy. Write that down in your notes. Don't, no. But Paul was like, you know, I don't have the physical stature. I'm not Saul. I'm not head and shoulders above everybody. But you know what? I'm going to be courageous. Why? Because this guy had a zeal and a passion for not only the word of God and the truth and, and for the sound theology and the, and the gospel, he had a passion for people. And he was unwilling to let people be deceived and, 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 and wind up in hell. He was, he was saying, look, I'm gonna get right into the situation. So get yourself in order, fall in line. So when I do come, our visit can be a pleasant one. It's a good thing, right? And it's better for people to correct themselves than to have to be corrected. It's better for people to privately fall in line than have to be publicly called out. But leaders need to be willing to do whatever it takes to root the leaven out of the body when the body's out of order. Leaders who are inconsistent in holding up God's standards do great damage to the body of Christ. Oh, well, I know the Bible says that, but it's unpopular, so I'm not going to preach that. How many churches do we have like that now? They won't touch certain topics. Why? Because it's not politically correct, because it's not culturally, you know, acceptable. So they just avoid it, and they just preach the happy, clappy, goose, bumpy message. That's doing people a great disservice. It does great damage to the body of Christ. Why? Because when people aren't sure where the lines are, they're exponentially more likely to get in trouble. You know, we're God's children. You know what children need more than anything? They need to have standards. They need to know where the lines are. Parents that have one standard one day and another standard another, parents that are inconsistent in punishment, you know, they, they, they raise monsters that have never met authority. Come on now. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ. We as children of God need to know where the lines are. We need to know what the, what the deal is, Amen. And thank God for people like the Apostle Paul and all the good leadership that God places in the body of Christ that are willing to hold up the standard and are not interested in being popular or liked all the time. You know, it's the same thing as being a parent. If you want your kids to like you all the time and be their best buddy and their best friend, they're probably going to walk all over you and get into a whole lot of trouble. Sometimes we've got to be adults. We've got to be parents. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ. Sometimes we have to make, you know, put on the big boy pants and, and say some unpopular things. So that's what keeps us having a lot of room in the sanctuary. You could spread out tonight. <laughs> so verses three through six shift the gears. He warns them, fall in line, get it in order. Or when I come, you know, there's going to be some fireworks. Uh, verses three through six kind of shift gears. And he starts talking about things pertaining to, uh, you know, uh, spiritual authority and spiritual warfare. <clears throat> Verses three through six are gonna provide us with some powerful principles about spiritual warfare. We're about to completely shift gears. You know, why is spiritual warfare important to every New Testament believer? Because it is. 
You know, you would think, man, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know, I just stay away from the devil. I, I just, you know, I don't have big issues in my life. I don't need to know about spiritual warfare. That, that's for somebody else. No, it's for every single one of us. Spiritual warfare is very important for every single believer. We are spiritual beings, and we are in an ongoing struggle against an adversary who works tirelessly to derail our faith, to stifle our Christian growth, and to thwart the God-given purposes of our lives. That's what the devil is up to. He wants to stunt your growth so you never grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ so you're constantly in the flesh and you're constantly in the old nature. He wants to derail your purposes in life so you never fulfill the call of God on your life, so you never unlock the giftings in your life. Come on tonight. That's what he's up to. And so we have got to learn how to fight in the spiritual realm. The problem is when we're in the flesh, we can't fight in the spiritual realm. We're the proverbial fish out of water. You know, when we're in that different environment, you, you can't bring, you know, I breathe on land, but if you put me underwater, I got an issue. And we need to learn to operate in the spiritual realm, and that's all of us, and that's why it's important. We need to learn how to fight the good fight of faith. So if we can't fight effectively against an enemy who works tirelessly to destroy us, to derail us, and to degrade us, if we can't fight at all, we're in big trouble. You know, if you, if you just, somebody like put a hood over your head and took you into a car for a long ride and then they, they walked you into a place and there's a whole lot of noise and all of a sudden they took the hood off your head and you're in a boxing ring and there's a, a well-conditioned athlete on the other side of the canvas, and they say, ding, ding. Some of you don't even get this. <laughs> You're going to get beat to shreds, okay? And, and you didn't even know you were going to a fight. You're not prepared for a, for a fight. And this, that, that's the way it is with Christians who don't, oh, I'm not into that. That's spooky, scary. I'm not, you know, I'm a lover. No, the enemy is coming for you. So you got to learn how to fight. Now, if we stay in the flesh, we'll never win the fight in the spiritual realm. You know, our, our fleshly weapons don't work in the spiritual realm. You can't punch the devil. I've heard people say, when I see the devil, I'm going to punch him right in the face. Okay, well, he's a spirit. So if you want to punch Casper the ghost, you give it a try. We can't punch the devil. You can't shoot a demon. You can't carpet bomb hell. Yeah, we're going to bomb hell. We're going to finish. No, those weapons don't work in that realm. Do you understand? All the weapons that win in the natural realm are completely useless in the spiritual realm. So we got to learn how to fight, but we also got to learn to use the weapons that God has given us. Listen to how the King James puts it. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen? Let me read that again. Get it in your spirit because we're going to pull this apart and unpack everything that's in there. For the weapons of our warfare, verse 4, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our spiritual weapons are powerful because they're connected to the unlimited power of our heavenly Father. They're not limited by the flesh. Okay? Now, if we operate in our own strength, we'll never win a spiritual battle. But if we operate in the power of God and use the spiritual weapons he's given us, we can't lose. 
So what kind of spiritual weapons do we have? You know, Paul's talking about for the weapons of our warfare. What is he talking about? What kind of spiritual weapons do we have? Well, you know, they might not seem obvious, but here's some of them. Now, this is not the complete list, but I try to hit the main ones. Here's the spiritual weapons we have. Number one, we have the weapon of prayer. Prayer is a weapon. And if you don't know it is, you ain't praying right. Prayer is a weapon. What, what else do we have? We have fasting. Do you know fasting is a weapon? Do you know prayer and fasting coupled together are a spiritual one-two knockout punch? The disciples couldn't cast out certain demons, and they said, Lord, why could we not cast them out? He said, because these only come out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Boom, boom. There it is, the one-two punch. That's Two spiritual weapons all of us need. Oh, pastor, please, not fasting. Anything but fasting. Well, it's a, it's a spiritual weapon that we have. What else do we have? We have intercession. We can pray and do warfare in the spiritual realm, praying for ourselves, praying for situations, praying for other people. If I'm going through something, if Tony's going through something, and I'm on my knees in the prayer closet calling out Tony's name before the throne of grace, unleashing the the armies of heaven and the angels of heaven to affect that situation, that's a weapon. You know, none of this, this wimpy, you know, scripted prayer, rub-a-dub-dub, thank for the grub, yay God. No, real prayer on your knees in the secret place, prayer and fasting and intercession. What else do we have as spiritual weapons? Do you know sowing seed is a spiritual weapon? You can sow a seed and wrap your faith around it. In the Old Testament, they gave offerings for certain situations, for certain atonement, for certain, you know, them being thankful to God. There's all different offerings in the Old Testament. Many times in my life, I've come and sown a seed for a spiritual issue that was going on in my life and watched God break through in that issue. Why? Because God was short on money? No, because something sacrificial in my heart said, I'm going to give of my substance, I'm going to give of my finances about this situation, and it's a principle of seed faith that when we sow a seed and we sow it for a specific reason, it moves heaven on earth. What else? What other spiritual weapons do we have? Well, we have obedience. When we're obedient, that unlocks the favor of God. We have personal holiness. When we, when we turn our back on sin and we repent of sin and we walk holy, you look at the Old Testament prophets that walked holy before the Lord. You look at Elijah and Elisha and these guys. They had incredible power from on high. Why? Because they were holy. You and I are positionally holy in Christ, but when we become personally holy by disciplining ourselves spiritually, that's a spiritual weapon. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Look, I don't want some sinner praying for me. I don't want somebody who's in adultery laying hands on me. I don't want somebody who's bound in pornography praying for me. No, we need holiness in the body of Christ. It's a spiritual weapon. Man, some of you guys are dead out there tonight. Come on, shake it off. I know it's Wednesday. Say amen. Have a few facial features, maybe. All right, there's more. There's more spiritual weapons. How about the gospel? Do you realize the gospel is a spiritual weapon? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Come on, that's a spiritual weapon. We have the Holy Spirit in us empowering us, leading us. The Holy Spirit is a spiritual weapon when the body of Christ filled with the Holy Ghost moving in the purposes of God. We have spiritual gifts, 
too many for me to cover tonight, but those spiritual gifts are spiritual weapons. We have the armor of God. My God. And lastly, we have the blood of Jesus, which is the most powerful substance known to man. In the name of Jesus, we talked about the name of Jesus, power in that name, by the blood of Jesus, power in the blood, amen? These are our spiritual weapons, not guns and bullets and missiles and planes. No, these are spiritual things. Now, listen, we're going to dig into this a little bit. So I listed off a bunch of spiritual weapons, and I want to say something. Having a weapon is a good start, but just possessing a weapon doesn't mean you have the skill to effectively use it to defend your life, okay? Oh, I got weapons. Look, I got gifts. I got authority in Jesus' name. I got the blood of Jesus. But just having the weapon doesn't mean you know how to employ it skillfully to defend your life. In the natural, a lot of people think, well, I've got a weapon. I can defend myself. They go and they buy a gun, and they get no training. They spend no time at the range. They don't learn how to use it, and they put it in their drawer, and they think, well, now I can protect myself. No, you can't. You don't know how to use that thing. It takes hours and hours. It takes discipline. It takes instruction. It takes range time. Come on, I'm telling the truth here in church. Uh, uh, and and you got to learn how to use that. You know, you, you, you're going to be like Barney Fife. You remember Barney Fife? He had a gun and one bullet. He put it in his pocket. That was it. Come on, nobody remembers that show? You got to learn how to use the weapon before you can defend your life with it. And it's the same thing with our spiritual weapons. Well, I know about prayer. Well, I've heard about fasting. I've heard stories about fasting. One time by accident, I skipped a meal. Did that count? (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying here? We possess these weapons, but have we trained? Have we disciplined ourselves? Have we learned how to use them? Do you possess spiritual weapons that you don't know how to use? Do you know how to pray and make intercession? Do you know how to implement the power of fasting into your situation and do spiritual warfare? Do you have spiritual gifts that are dormant because they're not developed? Come on tonight. Oh, man, I just came for Wednesday night. I didn't know it was going to be so heavy duty. I just preach what's in the text. Do you have spiritual gifts that are undeveloped? Do you know how to put on the armor of God? Do you use it to thwart off demonic attacks? Can you quench the fiery darts of the enemy with your shield of faith? Or does he shoot an arrow right through your chest anytime he wants and brings condemnation and distraction and confusion and chaos into your life because you don't know how to use your faith? Come on tonight. Can you hear the still small voice of God? Can you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit? Can you spot the deceptive whispers of the enemy? Some people can't tell the difference between when the devil's talking to them and the Holy Ghost is talking to them. The devil whispers and the Holy Spirit's got a still small voice, but there's so many Christians that have not developed their spiritual ears, they get confused. And if we're gonna be honest tonight, there's times all of us thought it was God speaking to us and it wasn't. It was our emotions, it was our enemy, it was uh, the people around us. I remember as a young Christian thinking I heard God's voice loud and clear, pursued something that was devastating to my life and and only to be bewildered over the fact that, man, 
I didn't hear God at all. That was my emotions. That was my flesh. Wow. Talking about spiritual warfare. My sheep know my voice. So we've got to learn to discern the voice of God as well as discern the voice of the enemy. Can you discern between good and evil, right and wrong, God and good? Oh, it's good, but is it God? Can you discern between God-ordained leadership and false teachers? We have millions of Christians that can't spot wolves, that go to their churches, that read their books, that pay money to their ministries. And they're wolves. And sometimes leadership will call them out. And I've called out some of them and people just go, ah. I've had people go, ah. Like, oh, you're just saying that because you're jealous. No, I'm not jealous of a wolf. Can you tell the difference? And if you can't, are you humble enough to go to leadership that has discernment that can help you? They're sheep. And there's tares, there's wolves, and there's false prophets. There's godly teachers and false teachers. And we need discernment and spiritual weapons and spiritual armor. And we need to develop our spiritual hearing. Otherwise, we're going to be that person dropped off in the boxing ring with a monster on the other side, unprepared, and the bell's going to go ding, ding, and the fight's on. And I'm not a betting man, but I'm not betting on the person who's unprepared and doesn't know they're in a fight. The gospel itself is such a powerful weapon that, you know, many times believers just think, oh, well, the gospel, you know, I'm not even quite sure what it is or, you know, it's, uh, you know, what our denominator. No, the gospel is so powerful. Romans 1, 15 through 17 says this. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are also in Rome, Paul speaking. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith. So the gospel has power. It is transferred from a faith to faith connection and it is the power of God to bring salvation to the lost. What a powerful spiritual weapon. Do you know people that are lost, that you love, that you pray for, coworkers, family members, people on your block, people that you've known, people you went to high school with? Oh, I wish they would get saved. Preach the gospel to them pray. Well, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm going to do friendship evangelism. I'm going to go slow. I'm just going to be a buddy, a pal. Preach the gospel. Friendship, doing things together, being a pal, being a friend doesn't get them across the finish line. It might give you an entrance, but the thing that's going to get them out of the darkness and into the kingdom is the gospel. Amen. And the gospel's powerful, and it's shared from faith to faith. I share the gospel in faith, and it's simple. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that if we accept him as our Savior and we believe that God raised him from the dead, he'll forgive our sins, and he will save us and write our names down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we will be on our way to heaven as a child of God. Simple. And you put that out there in faith, and if they mix it with faith, from faith to faith, the gospel's powerful, and it'll save souls. Amen. 
So forget about, you know, some of the, the slow motion stuff that we do. And, you know, well, I'm not going to be too preachy and share the gospel every chance you get. And I'm saying that to you and I'm saying it to me because the gospel is what has power. So the gospel is a weapon that smashes deception. It opens the eyes of the lost. It brings deliverance to those caught in the snare of sin. It exposes false doctrine and false teacher. Why? Because there's only one gospel. And if it doesn't line up with what, you know, was given as the gospel, then it's a false gospel. So we need to know the gospel so we can spot a false gospel. We need to know the scripture so we can spot a false teacher. We need to know the real anointing so we can spot a counterfeit anointing. So don't be content with just having spiritual weapons. Learn how to use them. Learn how to use them, to understand them, uh, to be trained with them so that they can protect you spiritually. Learn to be skillful with the weapons that God has given you. And you know what? When you wind up in a fight with the enemy, you're going to overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Come on. So what do spiritual weapons do? How do they work? You know, the, the text moves on here. It talks about pulling down strongholds. Look at this. Um, you know, there again, uh, it says to pull down strongholds. And, and you might think, well, what in the world is this talking about for, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds, you know. Uh, what, what does that all mean? Well, let's take a look at that. I think strongholds is the better word than, you know, the NSAB says, you know, uh, pulling down fortresses kind of muck mucks it up for me. But let's think about strongholds here. Strongholds are areas of power and influence under the control of king, the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness has influence and power in the earth. You know why? Because of sin. Uh, Jesus is going to redeem the earth. He's going to take the title deed of the earth. He's going to redeem it. Why? Because the, the blood of the lamb overcomes the sin and destroys the dominion of sin. And we, we're not going to get too deep into that now. But understand, the kingdom of darkness has strongholds, areas of influence, areas of where they have power and even legal authority. And it's all because of the dominion of sin. Sin is what gives the devil power over man. When Adam and Eve sinned, they opened the door to the enemy to have legal authority to have dominion over them. Why? Because they rebelled against God and they, they took sin in and it's been woven through the human race. Everyone born of a woman is born in original sin and it's the sin of Adam. And now we have a sin issue and the enemy exploits that and exerts dominion over us. So strongholds are areas of dominion ruled by demonic entities called principalities. Listen to, Paul references principalities several times in his writings. He says in Romans 8, 38 through 39, he says this, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. See that list there? What is he talking about? Death, life, angels, nor principalities or powers. What is he talking about? He's talking about demonic entities that have influence over regions on the earth. Let's get a little more of this. Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers and against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Did you hear it? Principalities. What are principalities? They're demonic entities that rule regionally. So this is what the... And I want you to understand about dominion and, and these uh, demonic powers is that they, those powers need to be pulled down. Otherwise, they will affect everything under their domain. You getting this? Did I lose you? Breathe or something or shit? Okay. All right. Satan has zero authority over the soul that's been delivered from the dominion of sin because of the blood of Jesus. If you're in Christ and you're under the blood, your sins are forgiven and the dominion or the power or the authority that the enemy had over you when you were in sin is broken. That's why whom the son sets free is free indeed. So Romans 6.14 says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. There it is. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Notice the mention of the law. The law is what gives sin its power. We sinned and the law convicts us of sin and the wages of sin are death and it's the law that gives sin its power because when we break the law and we sin, the wages of sin are death. These themes are woven all through the Pauline apostles and and we're seeing here how this works together. So let's go to verse five now that you have all that background. Verse five says, we are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So there's, you know, the spiritual battle is against principalities, against dominions, against uh, demons that have control and authority on the earth because of sin and we have to use our spiritual weapons to pull down those strongholds so we can advance the kingdom of God. Now I know this is a, it's a little tough to like wrap your mind around it but you know, honestly, this is basic Christian theology here. So we, we should be able to understand this. It's, it's not too complicated, but a lot of people just don't understand what's going on and why there's a fight and why the enemy seems to get a lot of victories and why we have such a hard time advancing the gospel. It's because we need to learn how to do spiritual warfare. So verse five, we fight against the kingdom of darkness by disarming and destroying and silencing the lies and accusations of the enemy that can contradict the word of God. Look, we've got to, you know, captivate every thought. Why? That exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Why? Because for every truth that the Holy Spirit tries to teach us, the enemy feeds us a lie to get us to abandon the truth. Okay, you know, God has his truth and we know what the word of God says. But when you look out in there in the world, the world has the exact opposite of everything that the Bible says. And they have a counterfeit truth to try and short circuit the truth. And many people believe the lie and reject the truth. Why? Because the dominions and the, and the principalities and the demonic forces that c- control their lives because of sin blind their eyes to the truth of the gospel. This is such a powerful thing for us to understand here. Whatever God says or does in our lives, the enemy will challenge it. Whatever God says or does in your life, the enemy will challenge it. You got to get this tonight. Take one step forward spiritually and the enemy will counter 
he will counterattack every advance. Well, you know, I just take one step forward and two steps back and one step forward and two. What is that about? That means we don't know how to do spiritual warfare. We're not losers. We're not defeated. We're overcomers. Amen. So you might have just woke up in the ring tonight and just figured out that you were in a fight. Well, you've been given some tools to overcome, to fight, and to win, and to drive the enemy out of your life. So God says something, does something in us. We should expect a counterattack. We're going to have to fight to keep it. He, the enemy does this by lying to us and trying to get us to believe the lie instead of God's truth. Remember what Satan did when he was in the garden with Eve? He, he, he said to her, did God say, did God say that you couldn't eat that? Is that really what he said? You know, and he confused her. And, and, and then he's like, well, you know, then he lied about the character of God. Well, God's just trying to hold you back. God doesn't want you to be like him. He's trying to keep you down. The man's trying to keep us down. No, that was all a lie. But she believed the lie, and, and Adam and her took of the fruit, and they sinned, and then the enemy got leverage over them. So understand how the devil works. He lies, and he tries us to get us to believe the lie. And if he does, he can deceive us and he can get us to sin and and walk away from God. The last verse we're going to look at here, we're bringing this in for a landing, is verse 6. And we are ready to punish all disobedience. So when, when there are lies, we have to refute them with the truth. If we think or feel a certain way and it contradicts the word of God, we've got to bring those thoughts captive in and, and make them obedient. I don't care the way I feel. I don't care the way I think. I don't care what the culture says. I just care what the word of God says. Amen. And the last part is ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So this paints a picture of how we should deal with deception and false teaching and all the, all the things of the world that try and pull us away from God. We need to be ruthless when it comes to these things. Look at it says, ready to punish all disobedience. That means if my flesh cries out, if my, you know, if my desire, if my emotions contradict the word of God, or if I, I, I know it says not to, but I want to do it anyway, or, you know, I know it's sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do you see the ruthlessness we have to have to just rebel against our own flesh and our own desires and the, and the things of the world? Ready to punish it, amen? There's a, there's a level of discipline that it takes to be a disciple. We're disciples of Jesus Christ, we're, we're in training. We, we have the Holy Spirit in us, working in us, but it takes some discipline. You, you know what it takes to discipline your body? Some of you. You know what it takes to discipline your eating? Did you ever have to go on a diet? Isn't that delightful? To have to police what you put in your mouth? I just want to eat whatever I want to eat. Anybody else? Man, I want to wake up, eat a pound of bacon, chase it down with some donuts and a bowl of Captain Crunch. I'm just confessing in church. If you're out there, well, I want some wheat germ and avocado. Shut up. 
You're annoying. The rest of us struggle. We want to eat. My wife makes these chocolate chip cookies. They're like, and, and, I, and I'm not supposed to eat them. And she, she makes like three dozen and puts them in a, on the countertop. I got to walk by them all day. I'm like, I just have one. So I have a half, 10 halves. I get to a certain point where I just, I'm going to finish them off because I can't take it anymore. Anybody else? That's me. So it's discipline. We need discipline. Well, why can't I overcome? Why can't I get free? Why don't I have victory? Why don't I have joy? We need to get some discipline. We need to be ruthless about cutting off the entrance points where the enemy tricks us and deceives us and tempts us. Amen. Best thing I could do with those cookies is throw them out. I've thrown out some stuff that my family would have probably been mad if I threw it out. Where are the Oreos? I don't know. Right? Because it's got to go. And that's discipline. That's ruthlessness. And that's what Paul is teaching us here. So we have spiritual weapons. We are in a spiritual fight. We have to learn how to pull down strongholds. We have to learn how to silence our own flesh, silence the enemy. It's a fight. But the good news is the Holy Spirit is in us, training us and teaching us. And every time we fight and lose, we learn. Every time we stumble and fall, we learn. And we get better and stronger until we overcome because we're overcomers. Amen. All right. So that's it. Six verses tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you for you loving us enough to not just throw us in the ring and leave us untrained and leave us defenseless. But Lord, you've given us every tool we need to overcome the enemy. You destroyed the power of sin. You broke its dominion over us. We are more than conquerors. We are redeemed through the blood of Jesus, but we still have a spiritual battle to fight every day. Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice, my brothers and sisters, I pray for Full Gospel Center and all the churches in the Hudson Valley that preach the gospel, for every saint that's in the fight. Lord, teach your people to wage warfare, to push back the gates of hell, to overcome sin, to walk in holiness, to have integrity so that we can fight the good fight of faith and overcome to be more than conquerors so the gospel can be in our mouths and we can pull down every lie of the enemy and defeat it with the truth of God's word so that we can see souls get saved, Lord. Thank you that we were able to baptize almost 70 people in these last few weeks, Lord. Open up the floodgates and bring salvation to the Hudson Valley, Lord, and use us and all the churches that are preaching the gospel. Use us to bring in the harvest. But Lord, with that comes a responsibility to discipline ourselves and to learn to use our spiritual weapons because if we're gonna push back the gates of hell, the enemy's gonna push back and your people need to learn to fight. So teach us to fight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.